0: I'm Mandy B. Anderson, and you're listening to the She Who Overcomes podcast, the weekly show that helps you spark hope and creativity for your life and business. In case we've never met before, I'm the chief creative officer and a leadership coach at a company called Rayma Team. I love copy dates and books, stiletto shoes, running, kayaking, and I just happen to be living with a disease called cystic fibrosis. I'm sharing my story as well as the stories of people from around the world to help you rise up with hope-filled action. Grab your coffee and let's hang out. Hey, Overcomers. Welcome back to another episode. I have a special guest with me today that I actually met because we were both scheduled to be speakers for TEDxBismarck. And because of the year that 2020 is, that got postponed to 2021. So it's, it's one of those things where we get to practice more. But I had the wonderful opportunity of meeting today's guest, Michael Cartwright, at a One Million Cups presentation a few weeks ago. And because we had the TED Talk in common, we struck up a conversation and what he shared that day was was so inspirational and fit right into this whole idea of hope and creativity that I just knew he would be a great uh, asset to this show and that you guys would really enjoy his story. So Michael Cartwright is a professional musician, and I'm going to let him share his background. And I just want to welcome you officially to your very first podcast
1: episode. Thank you, Mandy. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, I am just tickled pink that you agreed to do this. So, um, if you could share with us a little bit about what you do and how you ended up here in North Dakota.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, m- I would say my official role is I am a professional frontman, I am a musician, a trained musician, I'm a singer and a trumpet player. And over the last 20 years of playing professionally, I've really found a niche for myself as a band leader for events, uh, things like weddings, corporate parties, any sort of pop-up music event where there's usually, um, you know, you, it's not a typically a band that's out touring and working together all the time. Um, I have a awesome ability to be able to look at a group of musicians and figure out where the strengths and weaknesses are and lead them to victory on a program and show. So I'm a professional frontman. I moved to North Dakota last year from Los Angeles. So I spent 20 years in Los Angeles. I moved to LA two days after I graduated high school uh, to start my journey of being a professional musician and Worked my way up the ranks, doing jobs here, there, and everywhere. And uh, uh, the, I, I had an acting teacher once tell me that, Michael, you know you've made it in L.A. where well, you don't have to live there anymore. And so I hit a point where I was feeling a little, a little antsy, feeling like I kind of fulfilled all I could at the time. So uh, since I travel more than staying at home, I'm like, well, why don't I stay at home in a really relaxing, peaceful place? So now I'm here um, in center North Dakota. My closest neighbor is a half mile away. And um, I travel for my work. And then I come home to this beautiful property.
0: That has to be quite a change going from L.A., to the middle of North Dakota, where you have all that space and, and land and nature and um, has to be a big difference, huh?
1: Everything is exactly opposite. And people say, oh, my goodness, why did you come here to North Dakota? <laughs> this, this, why would you do such a thing? And for me, it's like I was in L.A. for 20 years. You know, I really got to experience LA and see what it was all about. So now being here in North Dakota, literally the lifestyle, the beliefs, the daily process of people in North Dakota is exactly opposite from the people in Los Angeles. So for me, every day is still an adventure because I'm on a completely different way of doing things. I'm a person who... I live for adventure and for opportunities. So if somebody extends for me an opportunity to try something I haven't done before, a a podcast, I'm like, yeah, let's let's do this. So North Dakota is a good place for me right now.
0: Awesome. Well, welcome to our state like one year later. So <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> And you. what a year to be here, right?
1: Yeah, to tell you the truth, um you know, oftentimes in my life, I feel like the world's really conspiring for my benefit, and I feel like this was an example because I moved here, and who would have known that just months later, everything would come kind of crashing down on everybody? And I'll tell you the truth: I've been to California a couple times um, since the pandemic began. I was just in New York last weekend, and the freedom of movement. And the ability to live at ease here in North Dakota Mm -hmm. is really nice compared to what other people are going through right now.
0: Mm -hmm. It really is a a different kind of world where, because we have that space, we are able to still move freely and not have to think about the crowds with probably the same intentionality that they do in the big cities. So.
1: Exactly. You know, my friends uh, that I spent some time with in New York between uh, my gig time there, they've, they're they hardcore New Yorkers. They've lived there their whole life, and they're actually packing up and leaving the city to move to the Midwest for the next two years because what New York is is, you know, everybody's in there together. You're in on the subway. You're walking on the streets. There's no space in that city. Everything is built on the public being able to access resources and that's just not available. And so, you know, for example, of my friends they're they're getting out of there, which is amazing for a New Yorker to be like, I'm going to move to the Midwest. You right? know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. Oh, great impression there. I like that. You, oh, thank you. you are uh, such a storyteller. And that's one of the things that, that, just really inspired me that day. I was sitting in the back of the auditorium and granted there were what, maybe like 15 people there. Not many
1: people. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Not the normal amount that we've had in the past, but um, I was sitting way in the back and I was just like, yes, you are such a storyteller. And it was so fun to just watch you be a performer even in an interview because your your way of interacting with the audience was something you don't see that often here in, in our area. And uh-huh. before we dive too deeply into a great conversation, I always ask my guests one question that um, is a lot of times, just for fun, but also to kind of get your your storing storytelling technique out there. So, my question to you, Michael, is: If you were a shoe, what would you be, and what story does that tell about you?
1: Gotcha. Well, if I was a shoe, you know, there's there's lots of different types of shoes out there, you know, and uh, I mean, I may not even be a men's shoe. Who knows? But my shoe. <laughs> is actually a shoe that I am on my fourth pair and that's a tactical boot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what these are, but these are the boots that say police or any type of first responder would okay. wear. Um, I'm on my fourth pair. I wear them until I wear them out. And for me as a person who is a go anywhere, do anything, the tactical boot is an amazing thing because you can go outside, you can get it dirty and you can go hiking with it, but then you can go home and tell you what, Mandy, just a little bit of polish shines those things up real nice. And you can go out at night. And if somebody's staring at your shoe, they may be like, that's kind of a chunky boot down there. But for the most (laughs) part, you put on some nice jeans and Hey, Mm -hmm. let's go.
0: I like how you've explained that. I feel like my husband would probably enjoy that description. We're kind of shoe snobs in the Anderson homes. So um, oh, we yeah. love all types of shoes. They're just, they're my favorite thing to look for. So
1: Yeah. Well, you don't have to tell, I'm sure your audience already knows, but what shoe are you, Mandy?
0: Okay, so I'm going to show you actually because I'm one of those weird people where I actually wear my shoes while I'm working in my home office, and I've always been made fun of by some of my best friends about that. But I would be a red stiletto, typically a go. stiletto of any kind, yeah. um, which they're not typically made for walking, but they always make you look your best and feel your best, even on days where you might not. Yeah. And I just, I'm always on my A game when I am in a stiletto. And in anything else, I have to give extra effort because it's just my mind isn't in the game if I'm not.
1: You know what? I understand that, Mandy. When I put on my suit, when it's gig time, I'm a completely Mm -hmm. different person. And there's something to be said, especially now a lot of us are working at home. If -hmm. we're working at home with bedhead and in pajamas, for Mm -hmm. a lot of us, that's going to be our output is bedhead Mm -hmm. and pajamas, you know. It really and for, is. for the for the people who aren't seeing, I mean, man, you got your red glasses on, you got your red frames, the red stilettos, it all goes together perfectly.
0: Oh well, thank you. Yes, today is one of those days where I'm like, I need to bring out the red and let it just pop because that's it. I just needed it. It's like the beginning of fall. There's a lot happening right. in the world right now, and some days you just need to give it that extra oomph.
1: That's right. That's right. So, well done.
0: Well, thank you. I'm curious to know, Michael, how has your work changed through the pandemic and how have you kept hope alive throughout
1: that? Wow, that's a great question. And probably I know myself, I know a lot of us have been going through a lot since the pandemic began. And it's gotten to a point where I've jokingly say that every 36 hours everything is gonna change again. Which it seems like it has. Um, You know, just here's here's the main thing that I realized about myself through the pandemic is I'm so accustomed to playing shows for live audiences. When I was in Los Angeles, I would probably be playing four nights a week. um, Out and about in clubs Uh, people are going wild, it's a really hip environment, high energy, lots of stuff, lots of output. All of a sudden, now I'm in North Dakota, so I wasn't playing as much, but I'm still traveling a lot. Then the pandemic happens, and it completely shuts down my industry. Usually, I have about 30 fly dates in a year, so that's when I'm hopping on a plane, going and doing a gig, and coming home. So my fly dates, once the pandemic hit, went from thirty to two. So obviously, that's pretty much my entire year right there. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly realized, Mandy, that people are like, "Oh, now you're home. Now, oh, you're going to get to practice all how you wanted to and write music how you wanted to." And and I'm like, "Yeah, this is going to be great. We get all this time to work on myself." I didn't do anything. Because I realized that I had no interest in playing music for myself. If it didn't involve performing for an audience and with a band, I really had no interest. And so, um, for the first, let's say, two months of pandemic life, I really wasn't doing music at all. You know, I really wasn't missing it either because I didn't have that normal outlet. So that's when all of a sudden the opportunity for uh, the TED Talk, when I got approved for the TED Talk, all of a sudden I had another creative outlet to invest my time and my energy in. And Mandy, I had never been so scared about what was going to happen in getting ready for this TED Talk. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you felt the same way, but. That's a big deal. Like
0: I yeah, I freaked myself out often about the the pressure of it and the and not that the pressure of it was coming from anybody but myself, but Completely. just what it means to be accepted first of all and what it means to do well and yes. what could happen with that. And yeah, it was it was quite the experience and and yes, I was very let down that it didn't happen, but now I see things lining up in different ways where um, it might work out better in the long run.
1: Yeah. There's a possibility now that the work is done and there's Mm -hmm. that confidence, you know, it's like my material that I prepared, um, you know, there were no notes online. My topic was completely something that was self generated, you know, for the information. And then I used some research to back it up through related concepts, but, um, but yeah, that process of diving deep and almost really finding a new interest of mine—you know—that I didn't know existed—that took the place of playing live music, you know—and gave me that fear factor. Because I, I will say, uh, when I play music, I don't really get nervous anymore. I've been doing it so long, and I'm at a point in my game where not much phases me. So to have this all of a sudden, this fear coming in and, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? And I'm freaking out and I'm looking to people for feedback. And I'm like, this isn't good enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, I always wanted to do this. I mean, it was a process. But um, now that that's done and, you know, uh, the pandemic continues, I do have some Gig opportunities continuing, but it's really making me look more long term because I'm like, yo, I may have stumbled upon something that's really new for me that could really, really carry me on. Mm Because I'll be honest, I'm, you know, I'm 39 years old, so I've been playing music professionally for a long time. But there's a point when, you know, the good looks and the energy to be the front man may start to dwindle. And I'm aware that that may start happening soon. Mm So it's cool to have something else. It's like, oh, I have an, another focus, another, another avenue. Mm-hmm. I'm towards. So
0: I'm, I'm fascinated to find out what made you want to even try out for a TED talk.
1: Well, um, I remember hearing about TED talks a long time ago. I remember when I was living in Long Beach and TED had a big conference that came to town and I didn't go To the convention center and see it, but all over town there are these big in red letters: TED, 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 everywhere. TED. I'm like, who's TED? What's going on with TED? So I looked it up and I found the you know multitude of videos of these TED videos of these people sharing intelligent, um, non-political or religious biased things they were really sharing things that help humanity on all sorts of levels. And so I just became a fan of the forum. I would always watch Ted videos, you know, you got 15 minutes here. Let's watch a Ted video. You know, uh, my interests would change over the years and I'd start to get into other things and I'd find other Ted videos that would support those interests. And so eventually one day I'm like, you know, I want to be one of those cool guys up there, you know, I want to, I want to stand on that, that red dot. And it, even I was, I used to go to the burning man festival um, quite a lot and they even had a TEDx X conference there. And one of my camp mates was uh, doing a Ted talk on like urban planning. And I'll be honest, it wasn't a very interesting talk. <laughs> She was nervous as all, as all get out, you know, it was a big thing for her, her, you know, I wouldn't say her topic was riveting, but I was, that was my first time I got to see one, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, this is just so cool. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do this. And this is going on the bucket list. And I just set it aside and then fate has it. I'm doing a church gig here in Bismarck and the piano player and I are talking um, during, between the services. And I find out that he's on the local TEDx board. And so then I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, this is the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So there we go. I just went forward from there.
0: That's gotta love how, how those connections happen. And when you put something out into the world that you want to do, and you put it on your bucket list, even if it's years later, I always find it fascinating how that comes back around when the time is right.
1: It totally does. It mm-hmm. totally does. You know, it's like um, I think that when, when you know what you want in life, life isn't necessarily easy, but it's simple. You know, like things things will happen um, to allow you to get to what you want, you know, the um, uh, providence or whatever you want to call it, you know, like things are going to things are going to open up when you know what you're going for. So it doesn't mean I do it all the time.
0: (laughs) You know, I think I don't think there's anybody that can 100% say they do that all the time, because there's always going to be that give and take in life and life happens. And even like you taking a break from music, because you realize that you don't enjoy doing music just for yourself, you want to be able to give back to the audience. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that's, that's the good thing about knowing yourself and going on that personal growth journey. Because if you don't know that about yourself, you can end up doing things that you, you maybe start doing for the wrong reasons.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I guess that's, that's the beauty of getting older, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and when our, when our grandparents look at us and give us this, uh, you know, advice and such. You know, there. Mm-hmm. it's so ironic where it, now you have all the knowledge, but you don't have the, the, maybe the physicality or the the time or whatnot to, to do it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. the, the irony of the irony of life, man. Yes, you know?
0: right. Yeah. That's one of the yeah. things that I feel the irony of life is thick this year. For yeah. me personally, I'm seeing irony everywhere and I'm seeing things come full circle or going around that mountain again with a different perspective and a different strength than I did maybe a decade ago. So it's, it's fascinating. And we're, we're like the same age. So I I'll be 39 in December. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's, I think it's so interesting to hear your story of when you went to music school in LA, Mm -hmm. and what it was like being in that, that culture and one of the things that you mentioned to me that you are passionate about passionate about is promoting equality among genders and cultures yes i'd love to hear a little bit about what that what that looks like for you what it means for you and how you're seeing new ways of applying that even in the Med- midwest here because i'm sure it's a completely different experience in some ways than maybe it was in la
1: yes Yeah, you know, um, I will say that passion and really being able, really being able to identify that I have an interest in that came from moving to North Dakota because in LA, there's every color of the rainbow and that's how life is, you know, and, and that's just part of, part of your daily out there. You need to be tolerant of different types of people. You need to understand that you're every day. You're probably going to see something that you've never seen before. See a person wearing something you've never seen before mm-hmm. acting in a certain sort of way. And you're just like, Hey, I'm in LA, you know? So that's just normal out there. So then when I moved to North Dakota and the in North Dakota is steeped in old traditions that are slow to evolve. And yeah, we're in the middle of the prairie. I mean, there's there's no reason for it to evolve, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the people out here are absolutely wonderful and genuine. That's one thing that I have I have noticed. My neighbors and the people who I've met out here are some of the kindest, giving people, but there is also a Predictability of what people's belief systems are going to be, and how they will handle a certain sort of situation. Um, For example, this this is one of the biggest examples on like a microcosm, which is the macrocosm. So I've become a bartender this year in our COVID life. Being a bartender was always a um, another bucket list item for me. So I got two down in one year. We're doing great. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you. So in, for bartending, I come across this situation a lot and I have a stock answer for whenever it happens. Um, A group of people will come up to the bar and a gentleman will say, I want a beer. Okay, sir. Yeah, we have these beers. Oh no. Do you have any real beer? And I know what he means by that. He means like an American light beer. I'm like, oh yeah, well, we, we have this. Okay. Well, sir, I, I'd maybe like to recommend uh this cocktail over here. And I'll just tell him what the name of the cocktail is. And he's like, one of those girl drinks? And I go, Well, sir, alcohol doesn't have gender. So, and I say that a lot, and I get the same kind of stunned face because it's people are accustomed to even things here of what they drink Mm -hmm. has some sort of reflection on their status as a man or a woman. There's such Mm -hmm. defining roles and the reality. Yeah. Alcohol doesn't have gender. So what what you're saying is, sir, if a drink has more sugar in it, it is for a female and it has less sugar in it. It's for a male, but I just saw you down a can of Coke a minute ago. So that has a lot of sugar in it, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't, you know, so it's just, if you see what I'm saying, it's just these old traditions Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily serving anyone anymore. Mm -hmm. Now there's nothing wrong with being a manly man, manly man, cowboy, you know, you're tough and things like that. Hey, that's great. I saw, I've seen a lot of bull riding and seen a lot of cowboys and man, I want to be a cowboy, but I'm also not going to live it myself for those type of typical roles just because, you know, somewhere along the line, we decided that this is how it was going to be, you know. So mm-hmm. I think having myself being California, you know, I'm a I'm a straight male, but I have no problem in drinking Foo-foo drinks, you know, <laughs> yep. I, I have, I have really awesome lace shirts that I brought home from LA that I wore to the bar one night and people, oh my goodness, people's minds were blown. They'd never seen a man wear a lace shirt.
0: <laughs> I can about imagine they probably freaked out.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I got, I got some compliments and Oh, uh, but uh, a friend of mine <laughs> joked that said, Well, in North Dakota, they'll never talk bad to you to your face. So if somebody did say something bad to me, it <laughs> wasn't it true. Wasn't to my face. So um, so yeah, you know, and um, you know, I have a lot of lot of interests and a lot lot of just dynamic abilities, dynamic things about my personality. And if I limit myself to traditional gender roles, I'm not gonna be able to be a fully developed person. So I like promoting that in other people, long story short.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that really is a refreshing point of view that we need in, in our state, in the Midwest, in other parts of our, our nation too, where maybe the the cultural diversity is lacking. And um, I really appreciate the the willingness you have to talk about things and explain things in ways that People really can't understand because sometimes we get so stuck in our points of view that when we break it down to the difference between a fufu drink and you know and and a manly drink, it's just so obvious and so yeah, and so it's simple. Silly. You're
1: like, yeah, oh, it's
0: like really, yeah, that, yeah, really?
1: yeah. That's kind of that's kind of silly, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think there's a lot of mindsets and beliefs that that we can hold on to sometimes just because of our upbringing and our our location of where we've we've lived the majority of our life and our lack of life experience maybe in other in other areas that mm-hmm. they do need to be questioned. And there's nothing wrong with questioning them. And we should be growing in that. Otherwise, we're really just living the same day in the same life and the same thoughts day in and day out. And that's not a full life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with cultural traditions. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with a man running to open up a door for a lady. Maybe then you opened up the door for the lady and she's like, I can open my own door. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's still fine. It's still, there's nothing wrong with the beauty of courtesy and mm-hmm. traditions through that, mm-hmm. but things that limit us from experiencing life to the fullest. Now that's unfortunate.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, it really is, and I think that's the challenge of figuring out how do you how do you have conversations that help you understand another person's journey, and also helps you grow in your own beliefs, and doesn't. Um, internally shame yourself for one reason or another and i think that's that's something that that we're seeing all the time and we we need to be able to have those conversations and to dive deep and to be willing to learn about other people's history and their journey and why they love the things they love and what that means to them and those i think are bigger conversations than just the uh the fighting back and forth that we see on social media these days over all kinds of topics. I mean even, you know, even just the pandemic itself. And yeah. when um when I heard you speak at 1 Million Cups, one of the the things you said that day was that we need to be creative in our thoughts on how we use our talents and bring them out into the world. Can you share with us a little bit about how you how you've seen that Play out and even you know you mentioned your your ability to to kind of draw the best out of a group of musicians and and get them on the right track how do you see that that working just on a daily basis of bringing our our creativity and talents into the world in new ways
1: uh, well in, in reference to like pulling the talents out of my musicians is I mean, I got a big ego just like anyone else, but I also feel like I have a good ability to realize when someone can do something better than me or when, or to be sensitive to everyone's need to contribute. So I'm just not being the front man who's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Oh no, I can handle this. I can handle this. I can do this all on my own. Um, and I don't know if that was something that is natural in me or I learned over time through my life experiences. I don't know exactly where that came from, but uh I do have an interest, like we've talked before, I have an interest in being a fully expressed human being, and a lot of that involves looking internal um I've spent a lot of time looking inside of me and wondering why I do things. Why do I have this capacity and then why do I fail in another way? You know, I'm I'm constantly looking at that and constantly just looking for what's a better a better way. You know, I think when people know better, they do better. And that knowledge of just trying to continually move towards that um, and realizing that that's going to be for me where real satisfaction is, is when I know I'm really doing my best. Um, You know, the money in the end of the day, making a lot of money I know is not going to make me happy. It might make my life a little easier in some sort of ways, but I know that's not going to make me happy. What makes me the most happy was doing things like the Ted talk where where I had to really work hard I had to really work hard and I had some meltdowns and I had self doubt but I got through it and I finished it and I felt so good so I think yeah um you know for myself that's I I know that that's important and when I'm working with a team when I'm working with other people um when I see something great in another person i want to tell them about it my mother always said michael you need to tell people when they're doing a good job because you know what they often don't hear that so i i look for that sort of thing you know i really want to be a team player in the big mosaic that is my life and our world
0: Ooh, I love that—a a team player in the big mosaic. That is your life and our world. That is quotable right there. I'm gonna have to like write that down because um, that's a great way to to look at it. So, I want to talk about these meltdowns that you had because I think anybody who is doing anything creatively or yeah. um, you know starting a business is even creative, even if it's in an industry that you wouldn't typically think is creative. Um, uh-huh. I think there are more meltdowns than not. And we yeah. don't often talk about them. So, yeah. did you did you have a speaker coach for TEDx?
1: I did. I okay. did. I had uh, Mister Tyler Demars, who was amazing. I yes. He he became my ability, my turning point. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I really appreciated having a coach, which is another thing. Like having a coach in whatever you're doing. Yes, it's a great, great.
0: It is. I I my um my speaker coach was amazing, and I want to get him on the show too um sometime. And one of the things he told me that was kind of like if I hadn't have been uh, getting ready for a TED talk, I might have taken it wrong and my pride might have been hurt. But because I was like all in on I want this to be the best I can be with it, and you know I don't know what I'm doing at this level, so help me. He said to me, I don't care what your story is. He goes, no offense, but what I care about is what the audience is getting from what you are saying. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And
0: I know a lot of aspiring speakers and authors and creative people that are maybe not at a point yet in their personal growth journey to be able to hear that and not get offended. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me a good decade of practicing speaking and knowing my story and letting go of that that need to care what other people think of me and be okay with what I know I'm meant to share um, mm-hmm. and to be able to hear that. And so I'm wondering what what is maybe the best advice that Tyler gave you that ended up kind of being your anchor when those meltdowns happened?
1: Mm, the best advice... <laughs> Let's see. I, I may have to, to dance around this to find exactly what that ad- advice was. Uh, when Tyler and I started working together, um, he, because I was so self-conscious about, am I on the right track? Am I doing something that fits in the TED realm? Is this acceptable? Because he had experience in this, he was able to kind of play, let's say, like, you know, bumper bowl, you know, when you're bowling and you blow up the bumpers on the side. Mm -hmm. He was able to be the bumpers that I provided all the information, Mm -hmm. and then he would just help me keep it in the lane, you know? Mm -hmm. And then once we had one good run where I finally... Let's say my ideas got to the end pins and I'm like, Hey, that's good. That's, that's your pinpoint. And once I had my pinpoint, well, then I was just like, okay, now I know what I'm doing. You know, he really just provided that guidance, um, to get me straight away because as a creative mind, I'm all over the place. I'm like, this is a great idea that's a great idea. This is a great idea. That's a great idea. I had so many ideas on our first session together. He was like, Michael, you, you could have five talks out of what you just shared. And I'm like, okay. So he helped me chisel away, you know, chisel away at what didn't need to be there. And uh, just to provide the guidance and uh, you know, i am I'm a person who, Albeit, I'm right now very confident. I've done a lot of cool things in my life. I've suffered with with self confidence issues ever since I was a little kid. You know, I was one of those kids who got bullied a lot, and always just thought that that if I open my mouth or do anything, I'm going to be punished for it. You know, mm-hmm. so battling through those early beginnings to now has been a journey. But that self conscious person always comes out mm-hmm. in. In whatever I'm doing, you know, we take who we are everywhere with us. Right. So having Tyler as my coach to say yes or no, you're heading in a good direction for this forum was, was crucial, was crucial to my success. And um man, I'm, I'm so grateful for that guy. And I tell you the truth, like uh, he, he when I told him I'm a very creative person and ideas come from everywhere. He's like, great. I'm a very process driven person. So I'm like, awesome. We're going to be a great team. Yes. you know, <laughs> And that's the point of having a team is having people mm-hmm. with different skill sets that work together. You know, mm-hmm. you get everybody on the same skill set. And that's a pointless team, you know. Yep. So, um, yeah. So, so happy I got to work with him.
0: And I think too, um, I have to write that down the point of a team, because that is another thing that I think people need to remember because a lot of times we want to surround ourselves with people who are just like us and that doesn't grow anybody, including the organization, whatever that might be for you. And we need to learn how to work together and, and have that, that diversity and harmony and, and not just diversity of maybe, um, your, your race or your background or anything like that, but diversity of talent. Yeah. Instead of being critical or judgmental of other people for their talent, um, which is the thing I think creative people can do. Do you see that a lot in the music industry?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I mean, like I'm pointing at myself. Absolutely. Same. Yep. I mean, there's nothing I hate worse than finding someone who's younger than me and has more talent, you know? Yeah, I will bag on that person, be like, ah, ah, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah, you know, that's that's what makes that's what makes a successful team is when our strengths are maximized and our weaknesses are mitigated through the other talents in the team, you know, that that's why it works. Look at any successful team of anything, even look at the characters. In a movie, you know, like like, mm-hmm. look at the Mission Impossible characters. The, it, there's a reason why, you know, oh, he's the engineer and this is the smart, witty one. You know, there's mm-hmm. a reason why, you know, there's different types of characters because they complement each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and isn't that in the big, big scheme, like what all of us here on this planet, you know, everyone. I believe that everyone on the planet has a superpower in some sort of way, mm-hmm. no matter who you are, you have some sort of superpower. And so uh, the goal is to hopefully you're able to get to a place in life where you can share that and then add your talents to the whole, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know imagine, imagine if everybody on this planet, whether being a homeless person or the president, was really able to showcase their superpowers. Mm-hmm. Man, could you imagine how much wealth, um, mm-hmm. not financial wise, I mean, I'm sure it will work out of the way, but how much wealth would be available mm-hmm. if everyone was really like, remember the Care Bears when we were kids? Yes. You know? Yes. Everyone ha- was able to give them their Care Bear <laughs> stamp. Yep. You know? What was your favorite Care Bear? You know what? The Care Bears are really for my sister, so I, (laughs) I, uh, you know, albeit they they really left a mark. I really can't remember the characters too much.
0: The only one I remember is Tenderheart. I think it was the one with the heart on
1: his. Or something was that the lion? Was it? Was he kind uh, of a lion bear? I don't know.
0: No, I don't remember. But now, I mean, it's it's all coming back to me. But um, yeah, they oh, were they some of my favorite. Later on. Yeah, <laughs> 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 go Google it. That if you yeah. really want to waste some time, Michael, and have a fun trip down memory lane, go like Google all the things that that were toys when we were little, and it's just a fascinating journey of wow, oh, wow. <laughs> things have changed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. Yeah, that would be. Uh, that's definitely a full weekend and, it, it, it uh, can and a be. lot of bottles yep. of wine, right there. Yeah,
0: right. I was going to say, pour yourself a cocktail or have a glass of <laughs> wine and and just go down that trip down memory lane, <laughs> and then you'll wake up and you'll feel really old. But you know, so just know that going in.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh. The
0: final thing I think I want us to end on today. One of the things that you said that day um, was that you started asking yourself a question of, am I living a life of my interests? Yeah. And you had kind of prefaced it by saying, you know, you've always heard this saying, um, are you living the life of your dreams? And coming from the coaching industry which is which is what I'm in and my background and you know the self-help industry always has that phrase like go live the life of your dreams live life by design and it's it's one of those you know words that sell type of things that it, they're out there for a reason but they are fluffy yeah. Yeah. and um you know when you come up against a setback that can seem like the furthest thing that's possible is a life of your dreams because now this this setback happened or this trauma happened or this pandemic happened and what am I supposed to do with my dreams now? Yeah. And I, it was so refreshing hearing you talk about living a life of your interests. How yes. did you land there?
1: Well, that whole idea, or well, I guess I should preface by saying, um, yeah, in my speech, I, I had said that people often ask me, or uh, they say, Man, you must be living the life of your dreams with all this all the things you do. And when I think about am I living the life of my dreams, all of a sudden, I get extremely critical because I think of all the things that I would want to do, but that I'm not doing that I don't have, it becomes to a thing of lack for me. And so, in that moment, When I was writing this in my speech for the One Million Cups, I said, but I do a lot of things that I'm interested in. And every day I do things that I'm interested in. And you can already tell by my voice when I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, uh, things that I am interested in? Well, then it's a much more optimistic thing. Mm -hmm. And it kind of hit me like a lightning bolt that I'm like, maybe for me, the pressure of living the life of my dreams might be too much. Mm -hmm. That might be too much. It could be also that I'm not stepping fully into it. That could be something, you know, Mm -hmm. but when I say, am I living a life? Am I doing things that I'm interested in? And then I'm like, yeah, every day I do things that I'm interested in. I'm, I'm bartending right now. Okay. I'm interested in that. Um, I still get to, to play music and travel a bit. Oh, that's an interest. Oh, I'm going to go outside and, and go on walks through nature. I'm interested in that too. And so then when I look back on my day, I'm just like, man, I got to do a lot of cool things that I'm interested in. So maybe that's a good thing for me to take the pressure off. So I'm not so self-critical and just constantly follow things that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. I think my, my original, you know, like when I was a little boy, I often, I like to ask people, um. Like what was your first dream? Like what did you want to be when when you're a (laughs) kid? Yep. When you're three, four years old, what did you want to be? And for me, I wanted to be an inventor and a fighter pilot. Those are my two things. I wanted to fly fast jets Mm -hmm. and invent stuff. Well, obviously none of that really happened, but in some sort of way, I, you know, like. I'm not an inventor, like I'm not creating machines, but I create music. You know, Mm -hmm. I invent music all the time. I didn't become a fighter pilot, but I do have my beginner's hang glider license, you know, Mm -hmm. so I've experienced that flight before, you know, so things change and grow. And Mm -hmm. that was because I was just kind of following what I was interested in at the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, why not just from this point on until I have a better definition? For myself. Why don't I just continue to dive into things that I'm interested in? Mm-hmm. And I think life is going to unfold nicely.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that is something that so many people can probably just like take a deep breath and take the pressure off themselves for, for trying to live the life of their dreams. Because once you start going after that thing that you've been dreaming about, you realize. Um, it's not as romantic as you thought it was. There's a lot of hard work that goes with it. There's a lot lot of of hard work, uh, you know, um, obstacles that come with it that are going to really test your resolve and how much you want it and how long you're committed to even going after that, even if it doesn't get maybe quite to the size that you thought it could. Um, I know when you say, you know, what did you want to be when you were three or four? I always like, the first twenty some years of my life wanted to be a singer, and yeah. when I was uh, eighteen, I took some time off and I wrote my own music and I found, uh, like, I found musicians to help me record it in Fargo, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And I loved the process of recording music and writing music. Like, I think that is one of the most exciting things to see how a song evolves from when you first put it together to what it ends up being on the track. And I hated giving concerts like yeah. hated giving concerts, which is funny because as a speaker back then, I used to hate speaking and I felt more comfortable singing, but I didn't like the length of a concert because it was so much pressure in my brain of what if I forget the words or what if I have to cough because I have cystic fibrosis and all these yeah. things. Like how do I perform when I have to also be real and deal with you know the the gurgle in my throat or whatever? And over time it is now swapped to where I love speaking. I've, I've done speaking events where I've spoken eight hours in a day and it's such a rush and I love it. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather sing only one or two songs. So it's finding like, I love, I love recording music. I think that would be a blast to do again and collaborate with people, but um, I don't have to do it to make money and I don't have to do it to be the thing that defines me. If I do it again, it'll be a hobby and something fun just to give to the world and and that's it and i think sometimes yeah. learning how to you know live a life of your interests and letting go of those dreams having to be the main thing or the only thing or so big can or so
1: definite like yeah. this is exactly what it's supposed to look like you know yeah cuz it, it does valid. evolve yeah
0: and it depends on your circumstances and what happens in life and all these different things and how you are shaped through all of that mm-hmm. and what you can handle at certain points mm-hmm. in life and i think sometimes you know in the midst of all of the fluffy self-help stuff which i've been known to say and i've been known to put out there sometimes because there there are some truths in those clichés but yeah. you got to be able to take them deeper and realize the when they fit and when they don't
1: yeah, you know that's a, there. There's a different angle for everyone, and everyone learns in a different sort of way, you know. And so, you know, I I would hope that with all the information out there, you know, like uh, everyone just finds what they need to bring themselves to the next to the mm-hmm. next level, you know, to the next stage in their in their uh, evolution as a person, as a human being, as a team member, as a mother, as a father, you know all this sort of stuff. Cause, um, yeah, it's just, uh, life's an interesting thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's, there's lots of possible, there's lots of possibilities out there, lots of possibilities and they involve us taking little steps here and there. And yeah, that, that, that big dream, that big dream, maybe, yeah, maybe that's something that's just more of a, uh, uh, a voice that gets you taking that first step.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then maybe after you take that first step, you hear that dream call from a different angle and you take a step that way, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, I, I liked, and I hope everyone does that, you know, that's, that's definitely what I'm going for, you know, Mm -hmm. is just to continue to, to work towards, I guess, you know, I guess there, I don't really know what the end goal is. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the end goal is. It, I guess maybe there isn't one, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but um, man, you know, I'm pretty happy where I am right now. <laughs> cool,
0: and That's a good place to be when, yeah. when you can say I'm happy where I am right now in yeah. the midst of a pandemic in the middle of North Dakota.
1: <laughs> yeah. In the middle. Of, yeah. Pandemic craziness, you know, Crazy. it's like, Like who would have known as, as we're sitting here, I just saw one of my barn cats walk across the yard with a mouse and I was proud for my little barn cat, you know, like, you know, so these little things of joy can come anywhere and everywhere, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I hope for myself, Mandy, for you and for all the people who listen to your program that they're able to find those little joys, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, keep following their interests. You know, mm-hmm. who, who knows what interests and superpowers may may be released through all this. You know,
0: absolutely. Okay, last question: Who are some? Well, second to last question: What are some of your most favorite uh, places or uh, people that you've either performed for? Or with,
1: gotcha. Um, a defining program that I watched once. I was in Germany, in a town called Bad Karlshafen. If I can say that name correctly, Bad Karlshafen, and I and a couple other musicians got invited to spend the evening at the mayor's in the mayor's office. And he had a string trio, violin, viola, and cello, playing tango music, or originally composed tango music, while this very pompous Argentinian painter painted what he saw. You know, he had a scarf around his neck, did this and that. And the music was so expressive that I was sitting on the edge of my seat. It was just... The energy in that room was so alive and so amazing. I'm never going to forget that. Mm-hmm. And that was really just an awesome example for me of just what, what being a performer and being playing in music was all about. It's just, it was, it was the essence. It was the most pure I think I've ever felt watching music be done. Um, What else, what else can I say? Um. You know. Uh if for most beautiful, um just just so it said, the most beautiful landscape I've ever seen on the planet are New Zealand. If if you can ever go to New Zealand.
0: You are not the first person to tell me that. I have a, a longtime friend and client who loves going to New Zealand.
1: Yeah, New Zealand was beautiful, just in such a small area. I remember hiking once on the a place called Marlborough sounds it's on the on the South Island of New Zealand and can you imagine those like Thomas Kincaid paintings that have been in the mall you know they're always very fluffy and bright and there's always a fireplace in a cottage lit and the fires coming out the top and the the animals are poking their eyes out from the bushes and such and being in Marlborough Sounds was the closest I've ever been to being in a real-life Thomas Kincaid painting. It was absolutely beautiful.
0: For all of my listeners, I wish you could see him right now. He, you are so expressive, and I love it. Like you're all over the screen, and you're like turning turning this description into a movie. It's just fun. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, Michael, where can people connect with you if they want to follow you or hire you or just hang out with you?
1: Gotcha. So the easiest way just to get a hold of me is through my website, which is www.cartrightmusic.com. That's C-A-R-T-W-R-I-G-H-T music. You, I have a couple of my music videos on there and also there's a direct um, link to send me some email. And also for those out there interested in um, my work as a frontman, I've actually started a new coaching and advice column designed for musicians, but um, there's some bigger life lessons in there and it's called Frontman Talk and that's on Instagram at Frontman Talk. F-R-O-N-T-M-A-N-T-A-L-K.
0: Awesome. And Overcomers, I do encourage you to reach out to Michael, um, look into Frontman Talk, and get connected with him because there are life lessons in what he shares as well. And so I hope that you are encouraged and inspired by his story and his ability to just weave life lessons in with creativity and just I, I hope you can hear how passionate he was and that it encourages you to start living a life of your own interests. So Michael, thank you so much for being here today. It has just truly been an honor to have this conversation with you and I look forward to our, you know, passing each other again on the TED Talk stage yes. when that happens.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Mandy, and and thank you for giving People an opportunity and a platform to share.
0: Hey guys, thanks again for listening. I'd love to hear the takeaways that you got on today's episode. So let's hang out on social media. My favorite place to be is on Instagram, and you can find me at She Who Overcomes Podcast. And I'd be so grateful if you left a review before you go as well. You just might hear your name and your takeaway at the beginning of an upcoming episode. Oh yeah. And if you're ready to work through your own inner conflict and spark hope again, my new ebook and coaching video called How I Wish It Would Have Gone is available for only $9.97 at RaymaTeam.com. You can get it today. That's r-a-y-m-a-t-e-a-m dot c-o-m all right my coffee is cold so I gotta go see you next week